Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Dr. History, good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you, my dear friend? I'm doing good. I'm not looking forward to the drive home, but... Uh, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be 70 degrees and yeah, sunshine. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll change that fast. What are you talking about a prescription? Oh, we'll, I'll tell you about that later. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Zeb, this is Christmas, obviously, and so... I'm going to do a history of Christmas and Christmas uh, things that have happened in the Old West, kind of pioneer Christmases. Good. And, uh, but uh, I'm going to go back to the history of the birth of Jesus Christ. I love it. Okay. So 400 years before Christ, uh, the land of Palestine, the Holy Land, was given to Abraham by the Lord as an inheritance for him and his posterity through Isaac and Jacob. Now, Jacob, of course, we know had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were scattered and taken captive. The Jews were taken captive into Babylon. Only a remnant remained in the land of Canaan, primarily the tribe of Judah. Now, Alexander the Great then controlled the Jews after his death. They were subject to different powers. There was a lot of disunity among themselves. And the Syrians took over and tried to completely destroy the Jewish religion. Jerusalem's walls were destroyed, thousands killed and sold into slavery. A Jewish family, the Maccabees, provided leadership which successfully expelled the Syrians. They had about 100 years of independence. The Maccabean leadership degenerated. Palestine was then taken over by the Roman Empire. Well, Herod the Great, you know, ruled Palestine, and he was responsible for the death of the Jewish children in Bethlehem at the time of the birth of Jesus. And following the death of Herod the Great, Palestine was divided into three areas. Herod Philip, who was the son of Herod the Great, Pontius Pilate, who was the one at the trial of Jesus, and Herod Antipas, also son of Herod the Great, and also connected with the trial of Jesus, and responsible for the execution of John the Baptist. So that kind of sets the stage. Uh, the Jews uh, at this time were in hope for a Messiah. They'd been prophesied, you know, by Zechariah, Micah, Isaiah, and in fact, uh, quoting from Isaiah, uh, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, as I said, Rome was in charge here. They ruled a lot of the Mediterranean Mediterranean world at this time. Caesar Augustus ruled. He ordered a taxing of the Roman Empire, which was actually a registering or a kind of a census. Of I was going to say it was a census. Yeah. Right. But it was, it was for the purpose of taxing. Now, the Roman method would have people register where they lived, but the Jewish custom was to register in the town of their ancestral homes. So this is why Joseph and Mary traveled to their ancestral home of Bethlehem, the city of David, from Nazareth, a distance of about 90 miles. I have a question right there. Okay. Uh, It doesn't really explain in the Bible, but there was a certain time frame that that had to be done in, right? Uh, Yes, yeah. And I'm not sure if it was a certain month of the year or whatever, but... 
Anyway, they probably traveled with relatives also traveling to the land of their ancestry. So the dif- travel was difficult, no doubt. Uh, they made it with their animals, like dogs and donkeys, but they likely camped out for several nights because, you know, it took three or four days would have been required for that journey. Now, at that time and place, an inn was a lodging place uh, to provide accommodations for traveling caravans, including the people and their animals. Now, such a place was usually rectangular in shape. So I'm trying to paint kind of a picture here of, of what this was, Zeb. So picture kind of a rectangular enclosure with a central courtyard for the animals mm-hmm. and surrounded by walled cubicles for the travelers. Right. Now, these cubicles were slightly elevated with open doorways so the owners could watch their animals. Well, it'd be kind of like having, and pardon me for saying it like this, but it'd be kind of like staying in the barn with the horse having a run outside, uh, kind of a stud run, if you right, will. so you could yeah. watch your yeah, animals. absolutely. Yeah. So when we read that there was no room for them in the inn, suggests that all these cubicles were occupied, okay? Mm-hmm. The thought that the innkeepers were hostile is probably not right. In fact, the people were probably very friendly. But they were full. Yes, And because all the cubicles were full, Joseph and Mary would have stayed in the center courtyard with the animals. So in these humble circumstances was Jesus Christ born. Yes. So... um, so we're going to move ahead quite a few years into 1861. Wow, that is quite that a few years. That is quite years. a years. Two years before writing this poem, Longfellow's personal peace was shaken when his second wife of 18 years, to whom he was very devoted, was traditionally or tragically burned in a fire. Oh. Then in 1863, during the Civil War, Longfellow's oldest son, Charles Appleton Longfellow, joined the Union cause as a soldier. And his dad didn't want him to do this. But he did it anyway. Um, He got a letter dated March 14, 1863, after Charles had already left. And the letter said, quote, I have tried hard to resist the temptation of going without your leave, but I cannot any longer. He wrote, I feel it to be my first duty to do what I can for my country, and I would willingly lay down my life for it if it would be of any good. Well, Charles got an appointment as a lieutenant, but in November he was severely wounded, and Charles eventually recovered, but his time as a soldier was finished, and Longfellow wrote uh, this poem on Christmas Day in 1863, and it's called Christmas Bells, first published in 1865, and there's some references to the Civil War in some of these verses that typically we don't sing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell all of them, okay? Oh, okay, go ahead. So... This will be familiar to everybody. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, Mm, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I love that song. And I thought how how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, till ringing singing on the way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime, a peace on earth, goodwill to men. Mm -hmm. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent, and made forlorn the households born, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. 
For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Wow. Love that. You know, I think the singing of that is absolutely phenomenal. And the one I like the best, of course, I'm going to show some age here. Bing Crosby did that the best, I think. There's another song I want to talk about. It's called What Child Is This? Oh, my. Now, this is a Christmas carol whose lyrics were written by William Chatterton Dix in 1865. You know, a lot of our Christmas songs are from... The 1800s. Yeah, and even back into Europe. But at the time of composing this carol, Dix worked as an insurance company manager and had been struck with a severe illness. He was pretty bad. And while recovering led him to write several hymns, including lyrics to this song that was subsequently sent to the tune of Greensleeves, which is a traditional English oh folk song. Oh, my, yeah. Yeah. And although it was written in England, the carol is really actually more popular in the United States than it is over in England. Hmm. So the words to this, um, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love that song. It is beautiful. So, um... Now, all these are kind of correlated somehow, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, they all honor the birth of the Savior. Absolutely. So, now we're going to go back to pioneer days. Ah. So, in the pioneer days, uh, the home was decorated with green branches and homemade decorations, you know. They didn't have a big Christmas tree because there wasn't any room for a big tree in their small log cabin. May I ask a question of you, Dr. History, that knows everything? In the old days, a lot of the pioneers and a lot of the settlers all across the West, how did they have calendars to really keep track of when Christmas was? Zeb, if I tell you that, I would have to reveal secrets. So I don't, in other words, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I think they, I think they knew, you know, um, I mean, they knew what month it was. And well, they couldn't go to, like, DMB and get a calendar, no, you know. But I think somehow they knew when Christmas okay. come around. Okay. I just, I'm just, it just hit me. I'm, I'm sorry just I say said that. anything. Okay. okay, so back to this house with okay. a small Christmas tree, all right? So pine cones, nuts, berries, and popcorn chains were hung on the tree. Uh, figures or dolls uh, out of straw or yarn were made. Yeah. Cookie dough ornaments and gingerbread men were also hung on the tree. Uh, the Christmas dinner was planned, and preparation of the food began weeks ahead of time. The Christmas goose was fattened up, and the plum pudding was left to age in the pot until Christmas Day. There were chores that began months before Christmas, like uh, making gifts for the family members, corn husk dolls, uh, carved wooden toys, pillows, footstools, embroidered hankies, scarves, hats, mittens, socks had to be knitted, and girls were able to knit before they were six years old. Wow. And boys would make boxes for presents. You know, they could find some wood. They were pretty handy. They really were. They 
you know, they couldn't go to the store and buy Can you it. make a box now? I can. I see. <laughs> but I have tools. <laughs> now, if there had been a good harvest that year, presents were placed inside stockings. The stockings were hung on the fireplace. Cookies and fruit might be found in the stockings. And I remember my mom talking about if they got an orange, oh, There's a poem about that. It's called The Legend of the Orange, about a boy's home, and and that's all they had for a gift. It's an amazing story. Now, Christmas Eve was a night for singing carols and telling stories around the fireplace. Christmas Day, the whole family attended church and returned home to a Christmas meal. Then it was time to visit neighbors and friends. Yes. And I'm going to read one story that uh, is, I found quite touching. You're really organized this morning. Aren't you amazed? I... <laughs> this is by a guy named Bill Ricker. Uh, this is a, a man who's older now, and he narrated his story as he was a boy at the time in 1944. The Battle of the Bulge was at its height. A German cook who was with the German army had left his wife and this little boy in a shack away in the woods, hoping nothing would happen to them. Okay, So it was December 24th, Christmas Eve, and it was a very cold night. Many soldiers on both sides became lost from their units and were looking for a place to stay. Well, three American soldiers were lost around the area where the shack was. They saw the light from the shack and the smoke from the chimney. They saw their chance to warm up. They knocked on the door and asked if they could come in. Well, the German lady had a small chicken cooking for themselves, but invited the Americans in to warm up for the Christmas meal. Now, one of the American soldiers was wounded, and the lady tried to make him comfortable. There was a language barrier for a time, till one of the soldiers found out the lady could speak French as well as German. So everything was going well, and the Americans were feeling right at home. Then, suddenly, there was a knock at the door. Mm -mm. The Americans went for their guns. The lady went to the door and answered it. There were four German soldiers who were lost from their unit, and they asked the lady for shelter. The lady answered them with this, quote, Yes, you can come in for Christmas dinner, but I have other guests. One German soldier remarked, Americana? She said yes, and that this was Christmas. There would be no killing on this night. She also told told the Germans they would have to lay down their weapons while they came in. She instructed the Americans to do the same. They were all in the room together, soldiers who a little while ago were bent on killing each other. Now they were in a room together with no weapons. Everyone could feel the tension in the air. It was so quiet for about 10 minutes. Then one American soldier offered the Germans a cigarette. They obliged. Suddenly one of the Germans who had medical training asked about the wounded American. He then began to help the wounded American and made him as comfortable as he could. Suddenly, Christmas dinner was ready, and before they ate, the lady had to speak for them. She told them that war was wrong, and told them the beauty of Christmas Day and what it all meant. Of course, she said it in German to the Germans and French to the Americans. All the soldiers had tears in the eyes, even the tough German sergeant. So with that, they ate, and from an uneasy friendship was built a genuine friendship in Christ that night. Later on, the soldiers all sang Silent Night in their own native tongues. Mm. So later on, the former enemies all went to sleep under the same roof. In the morning, the Germans built a stretcher for the wounded American and even gave directions to the Americans on how to get back to their lines. The Germans took the lady and sent her back to the German lines to bring them to her husband. So for one night, 
in a great battle, Christ's peace was in the hearts of these nine people. Wow. There's not much to say. You know, uh, not much there to so say. much to be grateful for. The power for. of Christmas. Yeah. The power I, of Christmas. I, I love it. And, you know, for a short time in our lives, well, I should say short time, hopefully we think about this not just at Christmas. Uh, yeah. I, I do have a story, though, for you. Uh, last year, my daughter was uh, talking to my nieces and nephews about Christmas and the birth of the Savior. And, and uh she asked the the young ones. She said, "Now, what were some of the gifts that uh, that the wise men brought?" Mm-hmm. And one of them said, uh, uh, "Myrrh," and the other one said, uh, "Let's see, uh, frankincense." No, no, not yet. Zeb. Oh, I'm You're sorry. You're getting ahead of me. You asked me. I thought. <laughs> one of them said gold. Okay. One of them said myrrh. Yeah. And my little five year old said, "And Frankenstein." <laughs> Well, you looked at me and asked me. I, I I'm know, sorry. I know. I know. It, you know, it's just uh, it was just sweet. What is the biggest tradition that you still carry on with your family? Uh, ever since my kids were little, and I have five daughters and one son. Oh my! We would enact the uh, the Christmas story. So we would have uh, some of them. We dress up in robes, and with uh, my daughters having long hair, would pull their hair around and tie it. Like as if they had a beard oh my. or a mustache, so they could be a shepherd oh. <laughs> or Joseph. I see. And uh, so, in the we would record this on video as I would read from Luke the story, and we would have a little cradle, maybe a doll cradle, and uh, the youngest child obviously was be the baby Jesus, and uh, it, it was just a, a fun uh, b- but meaningful thing. The one thing I miss with my mom and dad growing up back in Wisconsin was every year at Christmas time uh, when they put the tree up, the last thing that was done, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, there was a special box that they would bring down in front of the tree. And it was the nativity scene. Oh. And being the oldest of the siblings, uh, they'd give me that box, and I would put up the nativity scene every year when I was at home. And, you know, when I went off to college and then got out of college and came out here to Idaho, i got to tell you, of all the things I miss at Christmas, was laying underneath that tree putting together that nativity scene. Oh, special memories. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think about the soldiers and the people that are away from home at oh, Christmas. Yeah. You know, it's just a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sad time, but it can be uh, a good time as they remember the, you know, the memories of, of the Christmases back home. And it's kind of like I wrote a blog this last week about Christmas memories, and I, <laughs> this is a little bit more lighthearted, but I remember vividly mom, two or three days before Christmas, would take all the time and the effort, starting at about six in the morning and going till whenever, making all the different Christmas cookies and the candies and everything else, and then boxing them up and taking them all over the neighborhood, yeah. giving out all that. And I can remember, too, that when she had the kitchen table and the uh, dining room table filled with all these goodies, I would go by uh, slowly and open up my pocket and knock about three or four of those in, and then I'd get outside and just outside the house, and then she would discover what I'd taken, and some of the things she said to me were not very Christmassy. But I'll bet those cookies didn't make it back to the table. Not at all. Not at all. They were gone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I want to extend to you and yours a very Merry Christmas. You have been a stalwart of this program since we... How many years ago did we start this thing? Oh, it's been 13 or 14 years. Oh, at least. Yeah, at least. Yeah. And now it's grown in popularity all over the world. It has. We have listeners from Puerto Rico to England to... Yeah. Yeah. I'll, well, you get all kinds of calls about different things and items for the show, etc. Yes, I get suggestions, and I appreciate comments from our listeners. Absolutely. I love it. I really appreciate well, it. Well, I appreciate the fact that you played Sergeant Preston of the Yukon and come over here this morning mushing your Huskies. Well, I'll be driving slow, but going back, I can tell you that. Well, please. I will. And know that from our family to yours, very Merry Christmas. And to you too, Zeb. God very bless you, Merry man. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Doctor History, and uh, it's with a note of sadness that we end the program. I found that to be very, very interesting. Thank you very much.